fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he has answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help, and you listen to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath buried me in forever. But you, O Lord my God, you have brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, you remembered, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed I will make good? I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lord, you may be seated. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily today. commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. That's where the reading ended for us this morning. I often joke that if, if you're going to have a Bible life verse, uh, that is one of the better ones. Um, I didn't grow up in a culture that does that, but I think, uh, and the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah. Like, life feels like that sometimes. Uh, here I am, vomited up onto dry land, um, ready to go. Reassuring words to start a sermon with, too, I believe, um, uh, that, that the pastor feels like a fish vomit, or like a human vomited up onto dry land. Um, and yet we find ourselves here in the second chapter of Jonah. Last Sunday, we, we started with the first chapter, um, and it begins with this word, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And, and Jonah hears this word that is to go to Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, and preach because its violence and its disorder has come before the Lord, that it will be, um, it doesn't say actually what will happen, to preach against it. And Jonah, in his wisdom, goes the other direction. Not just the other direction, where, where from Jonah is to Nineveh is, is, is a certain distance. The direction Jonah's trying to go the other way is a much greater distance. We talked about last week how, one, um, Jonah is very much like us. We don't read the book of Jonah to find out how not to be like Jonah. Jonah is, is a very successful prophet, we'll see by the end of the story, um, although not in a way that he wants to accept it. That might be the challenge. And the challenge for us, too, is, 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 is Jonah's heart big enough? The question becomes, is our heart big enough? And so Jonah has this, this way of sort of beginning that way. But we talked how that would be the equivalent of maybe somebody in New York in, in 1935 hearing the message to go to Germany, 
1935, and preach against it who is Jewish. You wouldn't want to go. Now, all the other prophets get the easy job of being able to speak against the city from a critical distance. Jonah is called to go to the great city of Nineveh and speak it there. And so he rightfully heads the other day. As, and as we sort of just want to trace the contours of what we went through last week, we'll trace it in its downward movement. Because Jonah, in his own human journey, sought to go to the bottom. He goes down to Joppa, a different city. He goes down into the ship that he has uh, hired. He goes down into the sea. And what we find this week, where the reading started, was now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah's about to go much deeper and further down than he thought he could even go in his own ways. So Jonah gets on a ship to try and leave, and the sailors, the, the Lord, and this is the characters of the story, less important in this section, but to remember, is the book is about God more than it's about Jonah. And the second thing is that we're going to see this interplay between these names, God's in our English translation, which is the Hebrew word Elohim, and the Lord, which is the divine name, which I think in Jonah would be more translated from, from Exodus, is I will be who I want to be is the name of the Lord. You'll see that in your English translations, like up there, L-O-R-D. And so there's this, there's this way in which we are dealing with gods and we are dealing with the Lord of Israel. Now, as the ship, the storm comes upon the ship, the sailors uh, do all that they can not to be consumed by it. They cry out to their gods, their Elohim, and they rise Jonah from the, the, from the bottom of the ship. Um, and he says to them that his God made the land and the sea and they appropriate respond, what did you do? <laughs> and they try to save Jonah, but they end up um, um, casting lots. They find out that the, it's Jonah's fault, and they ask, what may we do to stop this? And Jonah says, cast me into the sea. That will, that will end the storm. And so Jonah becomes that one who is cast out in the same way both Christ is cast out for us, in the same way that Israel is cast out of nations too, that Christ becomes this one who, or Jonah becomes this one who is cast out into the sea. And what happens is the sailors who left, who had started with their Elohims, saying, Elohims, come help us, leave praising the Lord the proper name. They offer sacrifices and thanks to the Lord, the proper name of the God of Israel. Jonah, in all his failure, saved a whole ship of sailors in his, in his unwillingness to do what God commanded. And what I said last week is often it's that way for us. God meets us comes to us, we come with resistance, we go the other way, and yet somehow God's purposes are still accomplished. Jonah doesn't take a victory lap, he knows what he's done, but God's purposes are still accomplished as these sailors leave praising the Lord, converted in that way. And we, we talked about how the rabbis had this way of looking at the ship as if it were full of 70 sailors, which in the Jewish imagination was the 70 nations of the world that didn't know the Lord. So it's a metaphor for this way in which Jonah becomes the one who teaches the whole world the name of the Lord as one who is disobedient. And it, the church, I said last week, and Israel too, I think deals with this identity in the phrase of Ephraim Radner is a repentant missionary. We are not the all-together, holding it all together, being perfect, full missionary. We are the repentant missionary. 
And in the book we read a couple of weeks, years ago, uh, Unapologetic, he starts with the Universal League of the Guilty, which he calls the world. And then his chapter on the church is called The Universal League of the Guilty Part Two. Um, he doesn't give the church a higher spot. It is the Universal League of the Guilty in a different way. We can confess a God who has seen the ways in which we, as the church, this is not talking about the world, have turned astray, and that God who still fulfills for us. It's so often, I think, Christians, we try to confess God and to say, see how near we are to him, which has some of its uh, benefits, but I think more honestly to the world, we should say, there's a great distance between us and this God. It doesn't happen as much anymore, but people used to say to me, you know, I could never be a Christian because Christians are hypocrites. And I was like, that's the point. Um, We can't be God, so we worship a God who comes to us and saves us. Hypocrisy is bad, but when I find uh, it in my own life and in the church, I think that God is better than I am. Um, that that distance is overcome through who God is. So that's a, that's a recap of where we were. Um, part of this story is supposed to be funny. Um, I think people are supposed to laugh at the way in which Jonah has saved this whole group of people. And then he finds himself in the belly of a huge fish. And the second thing for this text today is last week I tried to say, Jonah is a stand-in for the people of Israel. The name is God's dove, and it's this name, Jonah means dove and peace, and it's this name of sort of God's affection for Jonah. It's why he doesn't abandon Jonah to the sea. And it's a stand-in for the people of God. What happens in chapter 2 is I still think we have to stick with, like, what does this mean for God's people? What does this mean for a corporate entity to hear this story, not to break it off into individual ways? But as we walk through it, I do want to say that Jonah's psalm, What he prays from the guts of the fish is one that can speak to us greatly in our individual darkness and our individual struggles. In my life, where I found myself, through my own circumstances, and this will come into how we read his psalm, sinking to the bottom, going to dissolution, going further and further down, Jonah's got a better imagination to me. He says, I go to the bottom of the mountains, and the bars are closed over me. That God hears and remembers, brings Jonah back up, is good news for us as we walk in those situations. So I'm going to try and and keep it maybe more corporate, but I I do want to say that for myself even, this psalm has been one of deep comfort. What he prays is what we can pray, too, when we find ourselves in those struggles and challenges, um, particularly ones of our own making. I think that's what often I think I missed with my relationship to the Bible for a long time, was it was language for when you were good. Uh, It was language for when you had walked appropriately. But we have Psalm 51, that famous psalm from David, when he's uh, had an affair. And this psalm, too, where it's, you've created your own mess. And even in that place, scriptures gives us language to confess again. It's almost like it assumes the failure along the way. Which, for me, and I hope for some of us, is a great, great comfort. Um, Because we don't have it all together. 
And so the story for today starts with that the Lord prepared a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. What happens is Jonah is cast out as this fish, which is prepared by the Lord, becomes the instrument of his salvation, which is a weird thing to think about. That the instrument of where Jonah is going to find God again is in the guts of a fish. And Jonah in the fish, it says, Jonah prayed to his Lord, his God, his God who will be who he will be. And it's fascinating to me that this is what what um, this is the most human I think Jonah is, because when we are at our ends, we pray to the Lord our God. And Jonah has this way in which he is locked into a cell. Now, cell in the Christian language has two different sort of ways of thinking about it. One is as if Jonah is locked in a prison. His prison is the belly of a whale in which he's going to have to speak to God. There's also another word for way in which cell has been used in, in the monastic tradition. The cell is your room. It's the place you have to go to. Eugene Peterson commenting on this passage is, is to say that we go to the Lord in the belly of our own wheels is all we need is a closet and a clock to go to the cells that we have in our lives to pray again to God. And Jonah in deep trouble is like many of us. This is the time he looks to the Lord. So far, he's been um, running from the Lord. Here at the end of his rope, he starts to pray again, which I think is often where we find ourselves. And this is for Israel. This is back to the corporate identity here. Israel at the time it's reading the book of Jonah is swallowed up by a larger empire. It is in exile. And so as we hear the psalm, it's important to say that this is for a people who don't have their temple, who don't have their land, who don't have their ritual orientations. The, the response song today that Rachel is, is, is going to sing for us has the song, Help of the Helpless. This is for a people who are helpless in their circumstances. And so when they hear this psalm, they'll think too of what does it mean to be consumed by another land, be away from home, to be lost in that way. And so here is where Jonah prays in his faithfulness. But what he prays is not a psalm of lament. This is, this is the fascinating, nor a psalm of confession, which for me is like, okay, first, what did I do wrong, God? Um, it's not a bad response, um, and Israel might be asking that too as they're in exile, but I think we so often go to that. But what Jonah begins with is, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. That's a crazy space to be in. Jonah in the belly of the whale, which he's about to say goes deeper and deeper below the mountains, is proclaiming already God's answer and rescue. He starts his prayer with the God who listens and the God who answers even as in his own disobedience, his own running away, he has found himself consumed in the belly of the whale. I called to the God who listens and answers. And Jonah, this is a book of prophecy. Here in this story, I'll maybe say it at the end again, but is one of the most successful prophets. He saved a whole ship of sailors. Now he's saying, I called to the Lord and the God answered me. And then God does. Jonah 
has a quite the, the hitting streak going. He's got, but he keeps doing it through his own failure. God keeps coming to the rescue despite him keeping and turning away. And so his prayer starts, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. God is one who answers in this place. For Jonah is in trouble as we find ourselves in as well. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. This is a a, a thick passage to say that from the deep in the realm of the dead in the Hebrew is this place called Sheol, which is the, the Hebrews, the ancient Israelites, didn't quite have full doctrines of heaven and hell left yet, so everybody goes to Sheol. What, what Jonah is saying is, is, I'm in the realm of the dead. I'm in the grave where I am. And I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah has found himself in the depths where there is no other hope. Unless God is the God who is the God of the living and the dead, as the psalmist says. That Jonah's only hope at this point is not resource. And we talked about hiring a boat last week and Jonah's own inventions to get saved. Like how we seek our own technology and uh, medicine and hopes and all these things to secure us as we flee from the Lord or just live our lives. All of those have failed Jonah, and now he's at the depths of Sheol, the depths of the grave. He's at the furthest he could go, and he says, listen to my cry, God. In the psalm that Rachel read for us during worship, um, uh, there's no place we can flee. If I go to the darkness, darkness is not dark to you. If I go to the lowest pit, you are there too that God follows and is with Jonah on this journey. And God is the one who listens to his cry there, that God's, Jonah's cry is able, and Israel's cry is able to send up to the Lord. But then Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very hearts of the sea, and the currents and the waves swirled about me. You hurled me into the depths, to the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. As we followed the story, God didn't hurl Jonah into the heart of the sea. The sailors hurled Jonah into the heart of the sea. But what Jonah has is sort of this twofold act in which God and humans are acting in this sort of complementary way. And this is the way much of the Bible functions. We often ask, who did it, God or the people? And often the answer is yes. Um, it's not one or the other. The, for Jonah to say, I was hurled into the sea, is to say, I tripped while I was walking or to say, I wasn't paying attention. They're both different ways of describing the same event. But what Jonah is, is, is dead. And this is where it's the Lord, I think, and this is a great statement of faith. It is a great challenge. It is a great terror, and yet it is also a great comfort. Is the Lord is Jonah's adversary and his hope. This is where the book of Hebrews might be going, where it says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because he is both the one who is the prosecutor, if we want to use modern court as analogy, but he's also the one who, who um, is our defense and the one who pronounces our innocence. But there's a challenge in that he is the one who has hurled us into the seas. 
And as Jonah finds himself in the depths, he's going into the deep from the place that he has been sent. And this is that challenge of how do we hear how God has put us in this. Is in the New Testament, there's idea in which, one, that the wages of sin is death, which is to say, the way we get paid for what we do is death, which I think is always so funny. It's like, um, nobody else thinks that funny, apparently, but like, you get paid, <laughs> and your wage is death. Like, that's how we earn this sort of thing, that, that God, for Jonah, God is dead because of what he's done, and yet, uh, I think it was Robert Fair Capon who said it first, that the only thing you need to be a Christian, the only thing you need to be saved is not to be good-looking, perfect, or beautiful, or strong, or wise, or knowledgeable. You need to be dead so that you can be brought back to life. So the resume for Christians is I once was dead, and somebody lifted me up and brought me back to light. You can see baptism language playing out through this too, is that we are hurled into the waters in our baptism and we sink into our deaths, and it is there we are raised into new life with Christ as we participate in his death. But Jonah begins to go lower and lower. All your waves and breakers slept over me. This quarrels asserted about me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Jonah finds himself in the place completely cast out. But then he says, yet I again will look toward your holy temple. I will look towards the place of beauty, of goodness, of life as I reach the end. Uh, the temple is, is the opposite of Sheol, of the place of the dead. As he goes to the very bottom, he looks to the place that is its opposite. We talked about um, defiant joy last week, which was not, or last sermon series, which is not a word I came up with. This week, somebody used the word defiant hope, which I was like, hey, I just love sharing it when our church's name is and stuff, so I'm not crazy for thinking this makes a good church name. Um, still may be wrong on that. But anyways, defiant hope is what Jonah has. He lives into this hope. He lives into this hope that while he's at the bottom, he looks to that place of beauty, of goodness, and comforts. And he looks to that place as if that place will be where his salvation comes from. And it is a place in which, indeed, his salvation comes from. But he takes in that last glimpse, and it goes deeper then. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head all the way to the bottom. I don't know if this is true in the ancient Near East, but in, in the Midwest, seaweed is at the bottom of the lake. Seaweed becomes his crown. God's chosen people, God's dove, we ourselves have found ourselves sinking to the place where seaweed wraps around our heads. It's a voiceless, breathless place he's found in. To the roots of the mountain I sank, the earth barred me in forever. This is the limits of humanity. This is the limit of our ingenuity and our progress and our technology is that at the end, the earth bars us in forever. We need something from the outside to bring us back to life. And that is the deep challenge, I think, for, for many of us, is to say that at the end, there is something else that brings me back. For the Jews in exile, and 
for the church, which perpetually sort of exists in exile, we look towards that city which is not yet founded in the boards of the book of Revelation. We look to that place regardless. This church is centered on, on the Eucharist. So every room, I say, has a story. This room's story isn't that you all turn and face me or isn't that you all turn and face the music team but that we turn and face the presence of christ with us in the center of the room that 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 is the story we're trying to live into but the eucharist's blessing says one of the ones that we say is christ has died christ is risen christ will come again we look to that place that is not yet like jonah in the lord has answered our prayer and we exist in the belly of beasts that surround us, whether they be our own addiction and depression and angst and loneliness, or a church and culture or world and culture that is trying to consume us as the church. And that's something that preachers have said forever, because it's just the fact of what it means to be the church. We can sub in our own, this is how the belly of the beast, American individualized culture is trying to consume us, but that is the place the church exists in the world as one who is cast out but looking forward to that future redemption, that Christ will come again. And as he reaches to the bottom, to the mountains I sank, the earth brought me in, but you, more, Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. The mountains have tried to seal Jonah in, but God has lifted him up from the pit. When my wife was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. All this is passive. Even this remembered, I, Lord, remembered, is the way it would be more constructed. Jonah's not much of a character here. He's talking about what God does. Um, that's possibly why the language of confession doesn't work at this moment either for Jonah, because he has to call to forth what God is doing. Um, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple, which is this way in which these two sort of things sort of build this frame for it, is his last glimpse is towards his holy temple. And what rescues him is that prayer makes it to that holy temple. There is no place in which God does not hear you. There is no place in which God cannot respond. There is no place even below the mountains in the depths of the sea that God cannot hear and respond to your need. My prayer rose to your holy temple. Then, then Jonah does what Israelite poetry often does, is turns to those who cling to worthless idols. So too, we cling often to those things we think that might save us. Or perhaps sometimes I'm wise enough to say, I know this won't save me, but it will at least give me a little comfort for the hour for the night, for the afternoon. I might pay for it later, but I turn to my worthless idols to bide away my time. They turn away from God's love for them. Now this is the word hesed, or Carla will pronounce it correctly later. Um, Chesed, um, I just can't do it. Um, but this is God's word that often is the closest we have to, in the Old Testament to grace. They turn away from God's grace for them. They turn away from God's loyal love for them. And this is a challenge because we do do this. We turn away from goodness and love. We do it in our human relationships. As a pastor who sometimes does therapy, 
you can see it in people who come towards the ends and they say, I know turning away from this thing, this relationship, this person, this marriage, this life is going to be emptiness for me. But we still make that choice. We cling to our worthless idols, clinging to patterns of behavior in those things. And it's in this way that we can turn away from God's loyal love for us. We turn away from this has said. But then Jonah turns towards his future, which is an interesting thing to do below the bottom of the mountains. But I, with shouts of great will praise, will sacrifice to you. That I redeemed back at the temple again will offer sacrifices to you. What I avowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I will go about this in my future. Jonah started with a future. The Lord heard my prayer from the depths. And then he proclaims a future which God is going to give him. Again, uh, uh, I think this is dark comedy, but successful prophecy. He proclaims what's going to happen, and then it happens. Um, he, he's brought back to life. And what's interesting is, is Jonah is saved by this fish, is that the name um, salvation comes from the Lord is similar to the name that we have for Jesus, Yeshua in Hebrew. It's for this reason that Mary names him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. It is Jesus, and this is, we'll read this every week, um, it is Jesus who takes on the sign of Jonah. If we want to know what it means when Jesus says that he is the sign of Jonah, I think it's good that we're reading the book of Jonah. Um, that Jesus is the one who too sinks to the depths, who sinks to Sheol. We'll recite the creed at the end of the last song, um, but it says he descended to the dead. Christ is one who spends three days and three nights in the, in the, the heart of the earth. This is the image on a bookmark you can take that... Um, Somebody else did, my friend shared it with me, but this image of Christ bound in the animal, that he is in the center of the earth. That is here that Christ follows Jonah's journey. He's the one who leaves God's presence in his death um, and awaits his resurrection. So Jonah too has one, but as a faithful one. Jonah follows our journey doing it as unfaithful ones. Christ comes and lives it perfectly doing it as the faithful one. And instead of God casting him out, it, he surrenders himself to humans trying to extinguish the light. It is we who cast Christ out into the heart of the earth. It is we who make that place. And so it is the fish that vomits Jonah back up. Um, Lazarus, when he comes forth from his tomb, healed from uh, uh, his death, the King James says, he reeketh. Um, we find ourselves covered in the trappings of what has happened before. And so it is Christ who, is this, who's, who saves the people from his sins in relationship to Jonah as one who descends. But the thing that I wanted to close with is, is every Easter, um, I read the same Easter sermon. That's the quote on the back of your bulletin today. And I do it, one, because it's, 400, it's from 400 AD or something like that. Uh, it's very old, and it's very hard to preach on Easter. And so I read this one at the end of the sermon because at least I'm reading the best Easter sermon the Christian tradition has come up with, other than he is risen, he is risen indeed. Um, that, that's the confession we have. But this, this con thing I read every year 
talks about, in the smallest font ever I picked, um, how hell's stomach was upset as it tried to consume God. Hell was an uproar because it was done away with. It was an uproar because it is mocked. It was an uproar for it is destroyed. It is an uproar for it is annihilated. It is an uproar for now it has been made captive. Hell took a body. The center of the earth, the whale took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. The Christ is the Holy One who descends, causes discomfort in the digestion of hell. And so he is brought back up to life. And so I'll close with the end of that sermon that continues after this. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is to become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God, you have come and given a word to your people that we see in the story of Jonah. That you too have called us to go into the world to proclaim your goodness and life. And we too, as many uh, as, as Christians, have abandoned that call. We have walked away. And so, through a series of circumstances, we find ourselves cast out through our own creation or through your will as the nation, the church, is bound in ways to be attacked by the world that's surrounded. Either way, we find ourselves sinking to these depths. And it is there our prayer rises to you. We look for the one who is to come. We look at the depths for your past and faithful action and know that you are a God who hears no matter where we may flee, where, how, or life may turn out. We remember your loyal love for us, your loving kindness. And so, too, we are brought forth, restored and vomited back up onto dry land to be your people again, to be your dove and your peace. We ask that we may live that task faithfully as we shall. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Abide with me, fast 